Hello and welcome to Power Reflections, a proud member of the Doof Network where we reflect on Wabo's most homegrown work as it releases. I'm Ruben Morehouse. And I'm Elliot Diebold. And we are here to talk about Shaking Hands 9.6 and 9.7. Um, well, let's get into it, shall we? The start of this chapter is Avery saying, we need help, which is a classic <laughs> Avery opening. Yep, uh, a lot of bang for your buck right there. Um, what's funny is, is when I first read that, I was like, oh, is this like, you know, is this one of those misdirects where she's just going to be like saying, oh, you know, breakfast sure is hard to cook. We need help cooking breakfast. But no, it's exactly what you think it's going to be. Uh, Avery is saying they need help with the yep. monumental amount of bullshit they have coming their way. Which is very true. Um, yeah, it's very accurate. Yeah, so they're obviously stressed out by the troubles with the others that they have going on. Avery decides they need help. They need more friends, which she's already tried getting the other practitioners to come into town, and that did not go over well. Uh, but maybe there's some possible practitioners already in town that they can recruit. <laughs> no, there aren't. <laughs> yeah, but there could be. And that's why they uh, that's what starts this train of thought for Avery. What if there are allies we could already have in town that we could turn into practitioners? I'm sure the others would be <laughs> fine with that, right? Yeah, well, we'll get to that plan uh, soon enough. But um, <laughs> I, I really like the, this sort of upcoming scene where the, the trio have a chat about like a bunch of different things um, is like a really good example of something you get the freedom to do in web serials that you don't really get in a lot of other like stories. Like it's just mm. mostly them hanging out, being friends with some light, like plot relevance dipped in. Um, mm. and it's just, I, I always enjoy these chapters so much where it's just like them being friends. Yeah, no, it is always nice when they're just kind of hanging out and having good times together. Um, a classic, uh, joke comes up where Verona is making more Fernanda jokes, which is great. Uh, it's weird that this, like that kind of came to a head on the Faye trip. Right. And I'd kind of assumed that would be the end of that thread. But the fact that it keeps coming back makes me a little worried that it's going to come back at some opportune moment and some Fernanda joke is going to be a linchpin for the final battle. <laughs> uh, do you have any theories as to what shape that'll take? I have no idea how it would possibly <laughs> be relevant, but um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, maybe I'm just juvenile, but I... It, I it's just the sort of joke I would keep going with my friends because Avery keeps reacting to it. She does. Um, she keeps feeding the joke. Yeah, and, and like it looks like Lucy's going to be doing the same thing with uh, Timon now. Because mm. um, I I love like that was a great moment of just them being friends. How Lucy's like just desperately trying to keep the conversation on topic, and both Avery and Verona are like, ooh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's classic friend hanging out shenanigans. Yeah. Um, and I mean, like, also, just as a aside, I love that Timon's still in this, because I thought we sort of talked about this as we were leaving the Blue Heron Institute. Like, Lucy yeah. kept touching in with these siblings, and Zed kept saying we shouldn't trust them, and I'm, like, so glad that this gives me hope we're actually going to find out where that whole thread Why? is going. Yeah, yeah. I was worried that was getting dropped, but it's, like, it... Like, like, you know, like, there was a bit, she says, like, time had offered her a pill to deal with, like, a headache, which, from anyone else, take is it, just take a nice... Take it, take it, take it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I, like, I can't wait to see where these 
where these guys eventuate in the sort of scheme of things. Because mm. we keep getting told they're bad, but I haven't seen it. Um, yeah, no, I agree. We've uh, we've heard a lot of that kind of stuff, but we haven't seen it. Uh, it. It didn't feel like we got a resolution to it, which means hopefully we will by the end of the story. We'll see. Yeah. Um, and then... Like another thing that happens in this convo is like there's a moment where Lucy sort of takes a bit of time to just list out the absolutely monumental list of stuff that they have to do soon, um, which I think is when Avery comes back in again with, yeah, we need help. Mm. Um, and like I, this is not only handy from a sort of writing perspective because like it just sort of is a nice list that we can refer to of, oh yeah, here are all the threads that are currently ongoing because there's a lot at the moment. Um, but it raises some really good questions and new ideas I hadn't even thought of. Like, uh, most of the things they sort of list as outside help are like practitioners, but I really like how they start to touch on the judges and where exactly they sit in things. Mm. Yeah. Um, cause yeah, like, like the trio raise a bunch of good questions like, oh, where are, where, where's the heads of the other three judges at right now? Do they like us for defeating Bristow? Do they not care? Like. I hope we do go and see them and get answers to stuff like that. Um, yeah, me too. I I feel like there there are a few of those kinds of things, like the judges, that feel like they surely must be relevant to the resolution of our not the narrative resolution of what's happening, but the kind of mechanical resolution of what's happening, right? Yeah. And so, almost certainly, the judges are a great example. We're going to have more that comes up with them, and we'll just have to see how that plays into it yeah well especially like like lucy hates on them a bit here and call like sort of talks about them in the same way she talks about you know um like the blue heron institute or stuff like these institutions that just aren't good um i i don't know if i've seen enough of them to think exactly that they certainly seem kind of ineffectual i don't feel like we hear about them actually doing much except just checking on things Mm. um but yeah, so I, I'm just keen for any more FaceTime with the judges because like their reactions to so many things, it just feels like things I can use to start to map who they are. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird how we still don't solidly understand what they what they can do. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh god, can they tell us what John meant when he said they'd make the job more palatable? Mm. That's the top question to ask. <laughs> That's true. Um, I, I think the other thing that comes up here that I wanted to talk about is uh, Lucy starts to talk a lot about what happens like when they figure out who did it, like what 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 happens after, like even if they capture them, then what? And mm. I love that that's the sort of stuff we're exploring. Um, like Avery sort of brings up this what I would consider like naive Arc Two era thinking of oh, well, we catch the bad guys and then we bind them and, and we hand them in. And, and Lucy's sort of like, to who? And like, what What if they don't want them? Like, there's so many people around who are apparently okay with this. Like, um, I, I feel like that. Like that's, to me, sort of where I feel like Pale has to end up. Like, it's 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 been a story not just about, like, what do you do when you figure out who's the killer, but what do you do with them? Mm. Yeah, we really don't know. Like... Yeah, it feels like there's no, I mean, and it's felt like this for a while. The resolutions just aren't going to be clean to this, right? No. Like, you can compare it to the Blue Heron Institute stuff. Like, they, they got rid of Alexander and Bristow. Um, 
But did the school week really change that much? Like, Musa just dropped in and replaced them. So, like, when you just sort of smash things down, they just tend to assemble in a very similar way because that's what all the other people in power are much more comfortable with. And I feel like that's probably Lucy's fear here is if they get rid of the culprits, it's not going to change anything long-term. Like, Lucy doesn't want things to go back to the old way because I, I think there's a lot of evidence that that wasn't working. Mm. Um, so it's not just about breaking things down, but it's about, like, building them up as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't know. <sighs> it's... I feel like we still don't understand enough of the structures for the long-term relationships between tra- practitioners and others to know what does the resolution to this look like. And maybe the answer is there are no solid structures for long-term relationships between practitioners and others, and that's why we <laughs> haven't seen a lot of them. Like, I don't know. That's a depressing thought. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to see. Um, so, yeah, the trio head downstairs to have breakfast with Lucy's fam, uh, and it's, again, con- a continuation of some fun, friendly moments. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, like, there's so many little details I wanted to pull out, but, like, I love the one where Alyssa asks where the cutting boards are, and Booker just goes and gets one instead of telling her this, and, I like, I just love that because it was something Avery noticed, we're in an Avery chapter, and I was like, that's such an Avery thing to notice, like, the way couples interact with each other, um, it's something she's so tuned into. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. She is. She's so tuned into the like dynamics in these families, right? Mm. Um, and she thinks about that a lot throughout this scene. Mm. Um, so yeah, uh, the the these beats of Booker having to introduce Verona and Avery are very fun, um, and it's kind of a continuation of this thing where we've heard so much about Booker, and we've heard so much positive stuff about Booker from from Lucy, obviously, and we haven't really had that many chances to interact with him outside of Lucy's head and get a picture of him. And yeah, he seems nice. I mean, I don't know if he lives up to Lucy's very high uh, descriptions of him, but, you know, she is his sister and clearly loves him, so maybe that's an unattainable goal. I mean, for me at least, he seems to be living up to the hype. Um, Like, yeah, he seems to handle everything well, which is just like, I feel it's setting me up for when he doesn't. Because mm. uh, I think both my and Lucy's hearts will be broken when that happens. Mm. Um, but yeah, his execution of these introductions is great. Like you can see how good and close of a brother he is. That it's like he's obviously familiar with Verona, like more than most people. Like just through having grown up, like you know, alongside Lucy. Um, but like he already knows a bunch about Avery as well. Like he clearly listens and remembers these details. Like he actually cares. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, he he cares a lot, and that's clearly the uh, the thing that makes him seem so, I don't know, so so great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and then Alyssa comes up here as well. Like we learn more about her. Um, like she comes from obviously like a, a pretty like you know good upbringing, um, in the traditional sense. But she she works really hard and like even has Booker convinced that she wouldn't be a bad fit for a government position, um, which I interpret as Booker thinks she'd fight the good fight. Mm. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I find this interesting because I think we've talked a lot about these, you know, those differences between Booker and Lucy uh, and how they sort of handle the world. Um, and then we've got like Lucy sort of readjusting hers right now. And you can see like Alyssa 
pushing that spectrum a bit even further. Like she, she kind of sits on the other side of Booker from Lucy in that she is from the system and kind of working within the system, but trying to maybe do good things in it. Mm. So, I don't know. There's no way this doesn't come up wherever Booker and Alyssa are headed. Yes, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> I mean, you know, Booker Booker mentions he has low aspirations. He'd rather have a lower government position and get more done in a smaller community. Mm. So Booker for Lord of Kennet. That's my that's that's the new theory. <laughs> I do love that. Um yeah, I don't know. I'm just the fact that Booker is here at all makes me nervous. Like <laughs> I don't see a way for him to get involved in this story that isn't Bad. being you know at in at risk yeah yeah absolutely um so yeah breakfast is going pretty well on the whole until lucy slips up and reveals her injuries from the night before and jazz immediately enters worrying nurse mum mode <laughs> yeah and again this is great i mean obviously because there's like so much going on like obviously lucy has her guilt tied into like letting down her mum by getting injured and like affecting her before the interview um, but it sort of evolves from there to like touch on everyone. Like Verona and Avery are essentially just jealous because, um, you know, Lucy has a family who cares about her. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but like Lucy's miserable because of it. Um, because of course the person with the supportive family is the one who feels like she's weak and is letting everyone down when she gets help from them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, the fact that Lucy hates her family fussing over her so much is so relatable, but also feels a little mm. tone deaf when we have Avery and Verona here, <laughs> who, I mean, Avery explicitly thinks along the lines of, I wish my family would fuss over me to this extent. Yeah. And obviously Verona's family situation is such a mess. Um, yeah, yeah, I like how Avery describes it as she can just like feel the same sort of jealousy as <laughs> yeah. she's just coming out of Verona. Um, yeah, almost immediately I had the same thought. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, like, you get it though, like, especially like with you, Lucy being sort of like a, a young black girl and having to fight for so many things and like always sort of prove herself. You can see why she'd hate feeling weak like this, even though that's not what it is. But yeah, um, I don't know. You, you're right. There's just this part of you that's just like, God, cherish what you have. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Hundred percent. The, the fact that Lucy doesn't sees this as a negative is so. I mean, relatable to us with our fairly normal lives, but man, <sighs> tone deaf. Especially cherish it while you've got it, Lucy. Yeah, for sure. The others are coming. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, as as Lucy and Verona head off to interview McKay, Avery splits off to take care of the sort of problem that is going to slip through the cracks. Yeah, which is like. I loved the delivery of this because uh, we've heard so much about like Clem's room cleaning strategy, like since Clem first told us it, at, like the start of Arc 8. Um, in fact, Avery even brings it up at the start of this chapter, like this idea that you start with the biggest problems and sort of work your way down. And as Lucy has, sorry, as Avery has this moment watching Lucy get cared for by her mum, you can sort of see Avery starts to realize the flaw with that system because she starts to remember that hey sometimes the people who aren't asking for help won't appear like the biggest problem and they'll get overlooked uh because she's been there uh Mm. and so of course she's the one who sort of puts this all together and decides that uh 
she has to go and talk to Melissa. It's like a perfect first mission for our sort of new clarity of purpose, Avery, who who knows she wants to be that departures and arrival person. She's she's mm. going to go and connect with Melissa. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's perfect, Avery. Like, the niche, I don't even know if it's fair to call it a niche, of just, like, being friendly. <laughs> um, yes, she saw Alyssa being the outsider in this dynamic and was like, oh, shit. You know, that that has triggered a thought in my mind about instead of making sure that we are always worrying about the major problem, we need to worry about this thing that will almost certainly be a problem soon, but we should deal with it preemptively. And it's a great idea and a great thought. And it's a bummer that it really doesn't (laughs) work out. Yeah, well, I guess that's the really fun next part of it is you sort of think, uh, you know, we got back from the Blue Heron Institute Avery's sort of come back as this kind of new, more confident person with a purpose. This is her first mission that aligns with that in like every way. I'd almost just expect it to kind of work out. And that's kind of what I had in the back of my head the whole time I was reading her convo with Melissa. Mm. And it just doesn't. Um, it takes me right back to remember when she was on the Forest Ribbon Trail. And I think the opossum was like, you need to learn. You can't save everyone. Yeah, And uh, that lesson's come to bite her in the ass as soon as she sort of found <sighs> her feet. Yeah, I don't know. I, yes, she can't save everyone, but it would be nice to have an, a good win here. Yeah, well, I, I feel like Avery's takeaway from that is, like, you can't save everyone, but you should at least put a bit of effort into trying. Like, I, I feel like what makes Avery great and, and special here is that, like, she's she's going to give it a go. Mm. Yeah. Yep. And she does. And she gives it a solid go. Um. So yeah, uh, Melissa wants answers, and Avery is willing to give them, but Melissa has to pass the test of, don't be a fucking shitbag. (laughs) Melissa wasn't this unbearable the last time we saw her, right? Like, I remember she'd become a bit of a pain in the ass before, but this is like, she's reached like Brett levels of unbearable in this conversation. Mm, Yeah, she's rough. Um... She immediately just starts shit-talking basically everybody. Um, and, and these are people who, I mean, sure, from what Melissa is sounding like, I'm sure they have done things wrong or have wronged her in some ways, but it really feels like she's just picking things to be toxic about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, having said that, it's hard not to feel bad for her considering that this entire thing is at least partially Nicolette's fault. Uh, I don't know. Like, yeah. How how much can you blame someone for this, even though they are actively continuing to still be shitty and refusing to take help to get out of it? I don't know. Yeah, I've I've sort of been doing the same yo-yo <laughs> the whole time of like, oh, uh, like I feel bad for her because she has just ended up with such a raw deal in every way. Um, but then she actually starts talking, and I'm like, oh, shut up, I hate you. Um, mm. And then I take a step back and I'm like, no, 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 she's yeah. having a really hard time. <laughs> yeah, I don't oh. know. Like, the other thing is, and maybe we're jumping ahead a bit here, but I kind of feel like Melissa is already, I mean, the labels are bullshit, but Melissa is already some kind of aware, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And the kind of aware that she is, is something to do with her toxicity and depression, right? Like, she's not just being a shitty person, she is... In, in in title case, a shitty person, right? Like, that's the definition <laughs> of her as an aware. And so, like, again, not her fault, And I, but I don't know what can be done to break her out of it if she's not willing to engage with that in some way, you know? 
Yeah, like you can tell she's really stuck in this loop of like, like she constantly, she keeps drawing things back to her old friends to criticize them. And she's always mentioning their social media posts, mm. which again, I love. No, like, it's while, called Go Photo Yourself. Yeah, which is fucking great. Um, I always love it when Walbo sneaks in slams at industries with his names <laughs> uh, for for alternatives. Um, but yeah, like you, you can sort of see she's entering this pattern of just sitting there and like hate browsing. Like it's yeah. going to be some sort of doom scrolling aware. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Wait, wait. I, I sort of tried to think of what kind of aware she might be turning into. Like, oh, I know, I know, I know. Capital yeah. capital H, hater. She is a hater. That's the name of the aware. Huh? So yeah, it? I, I mean, that's pretty good. Spell it with an eight though, because <laughs> oh, yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, to make it leap. <laughs> um, yeah, I, like that's the thing. The closest aware that I could sort of think of as a reference point was like Kevin. Yeah. Like, because I was like, you know, I don't think she'd be exactly the same as one of the others we've seen in the story, but like all the sort of big drawing points I kept pulling out of how she's ended up where she was, I just kept coming back to comparisons to Kevin, which is obviously concerning. Yeah, that's probably that's the, the last one. Yeah, the world needs. Yeah, literally the worst one to be compared to. But I think um, you're right. If people like have ideas for what they think Melissa might be becoming, chuck those on the Reddit thread. I'd, uh, that's a discussion I'd love to have more of yeah um yeah uh so i mean i think avery says it best here where she says i'm really trying to be nice about you being a little asshole melissa which is just like (laughs) the perfect summary of my feelings in this chapter like avery is doing all the right things by trying to be nice and trying to give her a way out right like trying to give her an opportunity to to not be shit or accept that she's being shit and try to do better and Melissa just refuses flat out. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, and like that. This is this is the thing. Like we've seen a lot in this story. Uh, like this story is talked a lot about. You know, oh, like if you support people, that's often all it takes. Like Zed sort of explicitly touched on that in the last Avery chapter. Yeah, um, we've sort of seen Nico and Clem act on that in the story as well and support the Kenneteers just because they gave them support. So like a lot of what this story is tackled is this idea of hey if you're just nice to people and back them up and help them they'll return the favor um but on the other hand we do have people like melissa or even verona's dad who are sort of too embroiled in their own self-hatred to be helped and like what do you do about people like that like if melissa's going to start to cause problems and we know verona's dad has caused some problems for certain people um like how do you handle someone who won't let themselves get help I, I mean the answer is you can't right you people have to let you help them you can't you can't help somebody who doesn't want to be helped you know yeah. it's just fruitless pointless absolutely so i mean it's sad to say but there probably isn't anything that can be done for melissa when she's like this yeah except whatever he's already doing of saying like i want to help you but i can't while you're being like this be less like this and i will help you <laughs> you know yeah, but then, but then, if Clem's going to start to cause problems for people, what what do you do? Like, you're going to have to do yeah. something. Um, um, also, sorry, I'm just rem- being reminded of. I think it was like in Arc Four, Nicolette complained that Melissa didn't want her help. Yeah, and, and I think we bagged I, out. Yeah, Nico a bit at this I was time. Like, I, like, I think on, we Nico. gave 
I think we gave Nico shit for that, so I'd just like to apologize for yeah, Nicolette. Nicolette, you were right. <laughs> Melissa's is the worst. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so Melissa asks to get it straight from Avery, and Avery does that to the best of her abilities, saying, you know, things are shit for us, Kenneteers, and we could use an ally, but it's worse for us if you're not a trustworthy ally, so you need to be trustworthy. And Melissa fails that <laughs> pretty un- un- unambiguously. I mean, but a- Avery does such a good job of uh, trying to make this case while not being able to say to anything actively, of substance. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's like this huge elephant in the room that she has to talk around, and she does a pretty good job considering uh, yeah. it's just not enough. Yeah, I think she did exceptionally well considering. Um, but yeah, it's just not enough because Melissa's terrible. So. Uh, Melissa fails. Uh, yeah, I mean, one of the things that Avery says that I thought was really good was when she talks about how Melissa was one of these people that she used to play with and genuinely Avery had such a respect for her, right? Mm. Um, she said, uh, I've seen you at your best, Melissa. I've seen you as one of the only people on the team who really tried and who helped me to get that goal against Swanson. Like somebody who was, even when things were, you know, pointless to an extent she still tried to to give it her all and and succeeded to an extent and that's like that's I'm someone so, you want on your ex- team exactly <laughs> that's someone who you want in this situation and i think avery's not just doing this out of pity she's doing it because she sees that there is a version of melissa that could be a really strong asset and but this is just obviously not that version of melissa right um, yeah like exactly like they're like for whatever strengths and awesomeness melissa sort of had back then She's very divorced from those right now. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean that. Yeah. That part of it just isn't around at the moment. Yeah. Um. And then Melissa says, you know, a bit later in in response to this kind of thought, uh, instead of being willing to go back to things being normal, she says, "I need to believe that there's some kind of magic in the world for a cripple like me." Avery says, you're not a cripple, Melissa, you can walk. And Melissa shrugs, frowning, which is, I mean, this is what to me cemented Melissa is already in aware. She's already put herself in a box and the world is going to reinforce that box. Um, And I think that's what I would have tried with Melissa. I would have said, hey, Melissa, this you that you're being right now, if you keep going the way you're going, this is what the magic in the world is going to reinforce. It's going to make you more like this. Is that what you want? kind of thing you know i don't know if that would have helped but would have tried it yeah see i think i, I don't know if it like would have helped because i'm thinking they do actually touch on the whole thing where they had like charles and clem and melissa and they got them together mm. and they've like already told melissa hey that's the direction you're heading in um i i feel like the problem for her is just like she doesn't even want her old life back is kind of the impression i get like mm. even if her foot got magically healed she doesn't like her old friends anymore and like she was constantly doing these activities socially we we used to talk about that back in like arc two when melissa was just like that weird girl who'd always come up and tell people they should do some sort of physical activity mm. um like there isn't a return to normal for melissa because if she fixes her leg she doesn't want to be around those people anymore so there's nothing there's nothing else to look forward to like i think that's why she she's latching on to the magic in the way she is it's because Putting herself in that box of being a cripple or an aware or whatever, that's all she has to kind of identify herself by now. Like she she is nothing except being a bit of piece of shit and whatever mm. label she tries to go for. Mm. 
How sad is that? Yeah, I I mean, it's tragic. Like, I can't help but feel sorry for Melissa, but I don't know what you do about it. And, ah, it's rough. I mean, like, if if you look at the three options Avery sort of has presented her with, option one is you could awaken and everyone's saying this is really bad and it'll, like, change who you are and it'll make enemies and it's going to be a lot of work and awful. Mm. Or option two is you can continue on the path you're on and your life will be terrible and you'll be aware. Or option three, forget everything, including the one piece of information that is basically holding your psyche together. Mm. Um, No good options. Yeah, like you can see why she's just kind of angry and pissed at these options. I mean, that's not a helpful reaction, but it's an understandable one. Yeah, but it's not like that won't change the options you've been given. No, No, exactly. (sighs) I don't know. Yeah, obviously, again, I don't want to be too harsh to her, but. It's hard not to be when she's acting the way she is. I know. I keep alternating between wanting to dunk on her and just wanting to get her help. Yeah. Um, So Avery goes to leave, but Melissa stops her by bringing up these vanishing classmates, hungry choir classmates. Um, Yeah. I thought it was weird that Peyton was in that last chapter, but like, uh, yeah, I didn't put this together. I mean, this is so cool. Um, I I think we'll probably touch on uh, this this other more next chapter but i can't wait to see the follow-through for this next week like the idea of there being opportunists feeding on the hungry choir's wreckage is so perfect yeah um and the fact that melissa has noticed this means again further proof that she's already become some kind of aware yeah someone on our discord uh i think it was a bird sort of pointed out how it's like she's she's become so lost and so isolated she's seeing those gaps um in 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 the universe now uh, mm. so yeah, she's she's sunk really far yeah um uh yeah. yeah i mean but having said that that's where the kenneteers were at before miss got them right like not i don't know if they were this this far, low but... but they had sunk you know yeah that was what yeah. made them eligible choices to be kenneteers so i don't know maybe it's a good thing somehow <laughs> optimistic yeah um but yeah i mean yeah i don't know it's just a mess of a situation yep um every decides to cut her losses steal melissa's phone and delete as much hard evidence as she can to try and you know untether melissa from this sinking that she's doing uh but yeah melissa gets angrier and things seem to get worse here not better I mean, yeah, you know you're like a toxic shithead when even Avery starts trashing your stuff and like getting goblins to trash your stuff. Like, that's when you know you've gone too far. Yeah, Avery doesn't even see the purpose in continuing a, you know, peaceful conversation at this point. Yeah, when Avery's bringing down the hammer, you've gone too far. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Melissa, the Melissa problem has not been solved. It has, if anything, been made worse. Yep. Uh, I mean, I can't wait to see where this goes. It's going to be fun, like fun in the fairy sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, like, I love the chapter. Sort of ends with Avery going, "Well, that was a fucking disaster. I hope it went well for the others." Um, which is hilarious because that's exactly how nine dot seven is going to end in a bit. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. I, I like. I, I love how this chapter is sort of. Avery taking on this responsibility of protecting someone who's slipping through the cracks to, to sort of give help and to get help. Uh, and, you know, she's meant to be this sort of new person with a new purpose and it just completely blows up in her face. Yep. 
Uh, poor Avery. Um, but yeah, I mean, speaking of 9.7, let's get into it. We're in Lucy's perspective. Uh, Lucy and Verona depart from Avery and head over to Matthew and Edith's house. But first, taking a quick stop at the haunted mansion of Verona's dad. <laughs> um, before we get into the, the pleasure of Verona's dad's company, um, there's a conversation here about, like, because they're constantly talking about how, like, hot it is. Um, and the, there's discussion. The courtesies don't know if there's a cold room. And, like, Verona's like, I suppose you could, like, negate heat um, or draw it in. Um, but I was just thinking, like, when this came up, I was like, there's no way there's not a cold room. Yes. Yeah. Like, there's got to be a cold room. And, and what this made me think was, like, we learn all this stuff from Edith. And, of course, like, but, you know, if you thought Edith was bad on water elemental stuff, don't get her started on cold. Um, so if, for me, this just sort of set up that tone of, like, oh, yeah, remember, Edith isn't going to give us the whole story. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I had the same thought. Edith, uh, there must be cold runes, therefore Edith has either intentionally or unintentionally left them out. Does she not know about them? Maybe. Is it possible that she knew about them and just decided not to teach them? Definitely. <laughs> Yeah, I, it's kind of like either way. It's just a sort of reminder that we shouldn't trust the Kenneth others too much, I suppose, which is, uh, uh, of course, a, a great opening for a Lucy chapter as we're about to head into this interrogation. Yep. Um, yeah. Also, yeah. the fact that like all this hot weather is... like it, it, It's brought up so much. It comes up in Avery's chapter as well, though she handles it better. But like, I feel like it's going to be an actual important thing. It was. Um, it comes in this chapter when it gets resolved by using Ken. <laughs> yeah, I guess. But I, I don't know. Like, we're just sort of talking about how Edith is heat or something. And it's like mm, the town is yeah, hot. True. Like, does that mean she's in her element? Or or she's like getting more powerful. Maybe she has yeah, the furs like, and that's kind of exerting some influence. Um, yeah. Like, you know, there's, there's all sorts of stuff you can read into there if you want to get really tinfoil. I think. I, I think the fact, like Lucy brings up, oh, the hot weather will sort of, you know, be a pain in our asses as we're trying to do so much. And it's just, there's no way it's not going to be a thing, I reckon. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, they they have this encounter with Verona's dad. Um, and there's this bit where Verona's dad doesn't kind of notice it's Lucy and assumes that he's talking to Verona. And then Lucy is there and he says, oh, you scared me. And then Lucy... Um, raises her eyebrows as a response. And given that this happens again with Ken later in the chapter, I thought I'd pull it out. Is this is this a racist thing? It's hard to tell. This one and the next one are both very innocuous. And I guess that's the point to put us in Lucy's frame of mind where she doesn't necessarily know if it's a racial thing or not, but it could be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. That's the thing. It, it constantly could be. It constantly is um, a question, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I like. I mean, I just love the vibe of this trip to the house because it's so. Like, I think this is the first time we actually see Lucy visit Verona's house and meet her dad, unless there was another minor one very early in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, we actually haven't seen like Verona's home life really since she had that like big moment at the end of eight point eight where she was like, you know, I, I run this town now. Uh, mm. sort of deal and, and you can sort of see like she she runs into the house she's yelling she's not worrying about like being quiet and avoiding him um he she just sort of blows him off when he asks her and lucy to help out like it's i kind of enjoyed it i'm not gonna lie just seeing her just kind of be like 
no, we have shit to do. Uh, I can't help you with this stuff that he even says he's not going to do it because like, they're like, oh, I guess have fun doing it by yourself. And he's like, oh, I can't do that sort of lifting. So he was going to stand there and watch two 13 year old girls fucking put his basement together. Like, yeah, I don't know. Mm. And he's so blatantly just ropes Lucy into it. He's like, oh, well, yeah. Lucy, since you're here. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it was great to just sort of see Verona just not even really, not get angry, just not, just take not engage seriously. with it. Yeah. Uh, like, I love the line where her dad's like, I'm trying to be nice about this with Lucy here. And Verona's just like, so am I. Um, yeah, I, this is going <laughs> to continue to be a very fun dynamic. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, yeah. As Verona is leaving, her dad brings up that her mother has called the house, which is something worrying. Um, Verona just kind of runs away from that, but... I can't imagine that's a good thing, considering that Verona's mum seems to very explicitly be quite hands-off mm. uh, if there's a reason that she's getting involved, you know. Other than, I'm secretly a practitioner, I'm here to help. I don't know what it could be that's positive. <laughs> Is that even a positive? Uh, that's um, true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, we, we, I couldn't think, like, I don't remember where we sort of left things off with Verona's mom, but I, I, I don't know if we have any reason to suspect she has a, like, I don't, I can't even begin to speculate why she would be calling. I just know that it must be pretty serious because she doesn't fucking bother calling. Mm. Mm. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, they ditch Verona's dad and they head to Matthew Nita's place and they meet and greet some of the others there, including Ken, who's great. <laughs> I love how he's just sort of being this like lazy bum and he's like, oh, I'm so hot in this sun, but I can't, I just can't be fucked moving. And so they all sort of pick him up and then it just helps the weather. Like this city magic stuff continues to be fantastically wild. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's great. The, the the bit with putting Ken into the shade is so good. I love how tangible Ken is in this story. It's just so fun. <laughs> I, I mean, he that does follow well, up. Well, yeah, again, yeah. Very weird. Another remark. thing that is like, is this a racial thing? Like, obviously, I guess the stereotype that he, he would be saying if it was a racial thing is like African-Americans liking the heat, which isn't. I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm not familiar with that, but I'm not American, no. so obviously, or 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 black, so I obviously don't know that much about it. But yeah, and then I'm kind of, he just has this kind of weird follow up response, which doesn't feel reassuring. No, but it could just be that he's an idiot, and and I'm assuming that's what's going through Lucy's head of like, is this a racial thing or is this guy just kind of an idiot? Who knows. I, I had the same response. I was like, that's not a stereotype I'm familiar with, but the way he just says it out of nowhere and then responds to Lucy questioning it in such yeah. a shit way, I was yeah. like, okay, no, this this feels like exactly what I expected from Ken, which is him just accidentally slipping out mm. little bits of prejudice without realizing what he's doing and then freaking out when he gets called out on it. Mm. Yeah. <sighs> but in... In lighter news, uh, there's there's Tashlet who continues to just be like the beacon of joy in this in this story out of the new others. Um, the bit where she sits on the ground just to fuck with McKay after he like insults her is so good. Mm. Um, if she's not a hundred percent on the level, I'm going to be heartbroken. I might just have to quit reading the story. I can't 
continue this story if Dashlet's not on side. Yeah. Yeah. I have the same reaction about a number of the others, like Tash, John, and then even ones who are like really suspicious, like Toad and Matthew. Uh, they're obviously suspicious, but I still feel like if they turn out to be bad, I'm going to, I'm really going to have a strong emotional reaction to that. And maybe that's good, <laughs> but it's just kind of like, it will feel like a betrayal to such a real extent. I don't know if I can handle it. No, you're right. There's there's a couple of others where if they turn out to be the culprits or with the culprits, I'm going to take it personally. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Even though I'm I'm probably thinking there's about 30% chance right now that Matthew or Toad are bad. Yeah, I want to touch on Toad later, but like, I'm pretty convinced Toad isn't good, but he's also not bad, if that mm. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um so uh, yeah, the, the gang head into the basement to interview McKay, but before they can get started, Lucy just wants to kind of check in and make sure everything's on the level here. Yeah, and, and first of all, I love how uh, the the whole thing's in the basement because these two just ran away from helping Brett with his basement so they could come do work in Matthew and Edith's. Mm. Um, I, I, like, I don't know. It's just like a small little detail of just like we sort of get in and it's like, oh, look how great Matthew's basement is, and he's clearly done work on it. It's just like these Matthew and Edith, despite all their flaws, still better parents than Verona's dad. Mm. Yeah. Um, yes, that's very true. Also, Monty is here, and he crawls into the radio where Totolo brings him in and tunes the radio so it goes, Good afternoon, listeners, which is just. Mm so yeah discomforting i i really liked this kind of bumblebee from transformers-esque style yes, of communication yeah. he used it it really adds a lot <laughs> another form of disjointed communication in the story that really just is fun to kind yeah. of decipher yeah i think monty is like low-key becoming my favorite other in this story um he's so spoopy I... <laughs> Yeah, but he's just such a sweetheart. Whenever we see him yeah. express personality, he just seems like a lovable dork. Mm. Um, but he's also like a giant fucking evil spider thing that takes over systems. Like, I, I really, really hope he does drop in on this dream that they talk about later. Like, they want to talk to Tash in a dream, and Monty asks if he can come. Mm. Like, I want, I want to see him in a way they can communicate. Because, uh, mm. uh, yeah, I just, yeah, I can't wait. Yeah, um, yeah. No, me neither. Um, so at this point, we get more info that these others like to impersonate cops or lawyers or other kind of legal authority figures. Uh, presumably, you know, it makes it easier for them to abuse their power, and it, it's great. And it, it, it leads into, again, some of these themes of, like, authority and crime and punishment and law and order and all these great things that, that we're exploring in the story that I think is so much fun. Yeah, yeah, like, absolutely. That That sort of comes up a number of times in this uh chapter like the power balance here is is this idea that these guys were impersonating or you know bringing out the worst in cops but also usually it turns out after they received it mm. um so yeah there's there's a lot to work with here um in in, in that sort of metaphor because it's, it's just layered in so many ways on both sides mm. yeah yeah um but i i guess before we sort of properly interview McKay, there's obviously the, probably what I, I would consider the meat and bones of the chapter, which is, like, Lucy sort of clocks onto the fact that Matt is making this entire thing, like, hers. Like, he keeps sort of saying, oh, McKay is bound to you. Mm. You need to be the one to question him. 
you know, this is all your fault. Like, he doesn't quite say that, but, like, Lucy sort of puts it together and she she just sort of turns right around. She's like, no, fuck you. I want, we're doing this for Kenneth. I want explicit acknowledgement that we haven't just been doing this, but fucking everything for all of you guys as much as for ourselves. Like, please pick a direction to push us in. Well, you need to push us in different directions if you're going to get so shitty about it after we go in the direction you point us in. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And, and like the, the details of how she asks this question, like she does it right before starting the interview. Like, uh, like while we're talking about the war and order metaphors, like Verona's sort of like, oh, we could just like force him not to talk about this. And Lucy's like, I don't want to do that. Let's set up silence rooms. So she sort yes. of like gives him respect there. Yeah, and then she has this whole conversation because she's like she she wants to set clear boundaries and expectations before doing this. She, she's essentially going to like force a confession out of McKay because of what she can do. So it's like yeah, yeah. She she handles it so well by setting up these clear boundaries. Yeah, uh, the part where she explicitly gets him to acknowledge like I don't want to do this. I'm doing this for all of us. If you guys don't want me to do this either, we don't have to do it. You know, like. Her forcing them to acknowledge that she's doing this for the good of Kenneth and not because she's a practitioner that just likes to bind and manipulate others, I guess, which is the counterpoint, <laughs> is so good. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So Edith makes this point about removing the choir as part of this discussion that it might have actually done more harm than good, which, Edith, not a great not great optics on that point, but I get what she's saying. Like <laughs> before, before the choir was taken out, they argued about it. And one of the points that came up was we need the hungry choir's power. And we've seen what it looks like for Kenneth to not have that power. And it's pretty grim at the moment, obviously. Um, who knows yeah. if the barrier m- might even still be up if the hungry choir was around and could have helped during the, you know, invading Kenneth arc that we saw. Yeah, or it certainly would have been more feasible to repair it in the aftermath. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know. To me, this argument just rings with the same logic of like, oh, we shouldn't have let Alexander die because he brought so much stability to the region. Like it's, yeah, it's just when it is, it's the same thing. Yeah, like like the, the hungry quiet. You know, like Edith's doing this logic of like, oh, it's protecting five thousand citizens um so yeah sure a couple of people die a month but um you know it's protecting five thousand people it's like well first of all i don't think it was actually protecting five thousand people because the innocence the only thing that's upsetting the innocence is the carmine bullshit which a i'm pretty sure you're responsible for Mm. and b um like you know that these are sort of exceptional so but yeah i don't know this whole thing just fell a bit flat for me where i was like i get what you're saying but like yeah, I just I just don't like this framing of those was those were necessary sacrifices to keep us safe. Uh, you've got to at least feel like shit when you're making arguments like that for me to buy them. <laughs> yeah, for sure. She's too willing to make that argument, which is a little worrying. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, there's also a bit right before that where uh, so wait. Obviously, everyone's just sort of airing out all of their fucking grievances with the other group at this point. And uh, Edith's like, you went against us to let the woman from the choir ritual go. And Verona to, like says, Brie. And Edith's like, oh, she was only the woman then. Mm. It's like, um, exactly? Like, 
she she actually was a person then too. You just didn't know yet. You just and didn't know her name. Yeah. You would have imprisoned and like done terrible things to a person. Like that's that's the whole fucking point. <laughs> yes. <sighs> um and yeah, Lucy then has this moment where it co- culminates and she says that we're a part of that freaking balanced Matthew. Um which is is a great distillation of it. Like they are being told that it's a careful balance. It's intricate. There's a lot of stakeholders, but whenever a discussion happens, they're left out of it, right? Which is they're being kept separate from these conversations intentionally. Yeah, and the the lead up to this climax is so good. Like Lucy basically starts to call out Edith on not keeping up with the deal, and like Matt and Edith get all pissy about it, and they're like, oh we are just trying to do it you just don't know all the details and Lucy gets to be like fucking that's the whole point you're not telling us anything yeah we can't know all the details because you keep us in the dark you keep hiding details from us (laughs) um anyway yeah it's so good because i feel like like we and the kenneteers have been hammering on this point for a long time of the story like matthew and edith continually seem to be fumbling things particularly this arc so like Lucy sort of finally just sort of sits them down. And it's like, okay, so are you incompetent or malicious? Like, what are we doing here? Mm-hmm. Um, and we get some reaffirmations, not ironclad ones, uh, because Lucy decides not to press the issue as much as she could have. But we get some stuff. So Toad Swallow, Tashley, and Montague seem to explicitly confirm they have no intention of harming the trio, right? Yeah. Um, which is good. Matthew and Edith imply that they don't, but don't ever really say it. <laughs> yeah. Their silence is very loud. <laughs> yes. Obviously, <laughs> given the fact that we suspect <laughs> it was Edith who... Yeah. Like, especially given the fact that we su- suspect it was Edith who who said the stuff that Lucy overheard, right? Um, mm. The fact that Edith can't be like, no, we would never intend to hurt you is obviously a bit dangerous. Yeah. Um, and I, like I've seen a lot of discussion on this sort of topic. Um, uh, the user prof on our discord, I, I came up with an explanation that I really like. I, I don't a hundred percent know if I buy it, but I certainly hope it's the case. Um, which is, you know, Lucy definitely did hear what she heard. It's just, we're missing some of the context, like, uh, some of the earlier context. Um, if this was part of a conversation that was like, what do we do if the Kenneteers go rogue? Like if the others are talking contingency plans, um, cause obviously, you know, with the culprits in town, that's always going to be a bit of a yeah. not great look. But, um, if you take the perspective of the innocent members of town, the ones who didn't do it, and you think about what the town is meant to be, I, it's a very sensible conversation for the others in town to have a sort of, what do we do if the Kenneteers start to do bad things? Um, like without our protagonist bias you can see it's totally reasonable to expect there's a chance they'll go rogue at some point to Um, to be prepared i mean the kennedys are preparing for in case any of the kennedy others go rogue as well exactly so yeah i get that i i just think i mean so we have obviously filtered what we heard through lucy which means the wording isn't there for us to critically examine which means it's plausible something like this could have happened but given what Lucy does say, unless it's Matthew saying something, oh, not Matthew, Edith saying something like, and remember, guys, we definitely won't, and then they start hearing, kill the Kenneteers and take them out of the picture or whatever, right? Um, 
I mean, it, it I was know. a meeting about bringing more practitioners into town. So it would make sense to me that the topic of what do we do with the ones we've already got would come up. But yeah, like, yeah I don't know. This is a plausible explanation to me. But obviously, like, Lucy now seems to be leaning in the direction of thinking it was like fey trickery or something to kind of fuck with what she heard. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I kind of, I, I, I like the idea more that it was just somebody was maybe switching off her abilities at the wrong and right times. Yeah, which feels like Rook to me. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't, we'll see. I don't want to make too many predictions about it because I don't feel like I have an adequate way of saying this is how it would work or not work. No, well, yeah, I mean, exactly. Like, we haven't encountered anything before that was able to fuck with Lucy's earring like this. So, yeah. uh, you could always speculate who could have something like that. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, having said that, there is a bit where Lucy overhears a little bit more here uh, coming yeah, up. Yeah, Matthew <laughs> afterwards is sort of like, who's like, oh, I wouldn't overthink it. It's like, underthinking it spells trouble. We need to have another secret meeting. Um, which is just like, yeah, okay, so after Lucy yells at you for having meetings without them, the first thing you do is start to organize Let's another organize one. Let's organize a secret meeting, yeah. Uh, yeah, but, um, so that doesn't help my case, but, yeah, <laughs> maybe. I just want to hold out hope that there's not that many bad people in Kenneth. Yeah, um, yeah, I don't know. Me too. We'll have to see. Um, but, you know, this has diffused the tension in the room a little bit, and so Lucy... And Verona turned back to McKay in this interrogation. Yeah, and it is worth pointing out, like you touched on it earlier, but um, Lucy sort of makes a conscious effort to de-escalate and stop fighting here, which I think is really worth mentioning after all we talked about in her last chapter. I think that was 9.4. Yeah. Um, she's choosing her fights or choosing her weapons. Like she, she knows that continuing to press here will very likely cause more problems and cause things to explode. So she's not really like seeding ground, but she she's tactically stopping taking any more in this conversation. Like she does get the acknowledgement that is sort of the bare minimum she wants. And it's like that will have to do for now um, because otherwise things will get worse for me. And I think, I think this is the Lucy who saw Alexander get shot in the head, who makes these decisions. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, it is. It does feel like Lucy is being set up as a bit of a scapegoat, weirdly, for the Kennet others, right? All the Kenneteers are, really. Yeah. yeah. It's the vibe you get. Yeah, I don't know. <sighs> we'll see. Um, but anyway, we get into this interrogation. We get the backstory on Bridge, the parasite watch other scar thingy, uh, who was framed <laughs> for a crime and that somehow turned him into what he is now. Yeah, I, I mean, we get all this filtered through McKay, so the details are uh, lacking. Um, so I don't feel like I still fully understand Bridge, but he's definitely like a lot smarter and complete than I really expected. Mm. Um, like, there's bits in here that remind me of like stories about ghosts with unfinished business, or even that ghoul that fucked up uh, Charles's old gang. Um, like, Bridge was somebody who was sort of really badly fucked over by the system just when they were an innocent person and somehow part of them survived death and now it's very understandable why why bridge doesn't trust systems of authority Mm. i mean 
Yeah, hundred percent. Right. We get back to this again of like crime and punishment, and like you know, Bridges' backstory is they were innocent, but they were framed, and this turned them into a literal monster. Like that's so on the nose about how terrible <laughs> and 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 innocent of another they of a person they were before they became another. Like they are through something that is completely out of their control, they have become something monstrous. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I half expect to see redemption for Bridge by the end of the story. I, I God, I hope so. They're nothing but a victim in a lot of ways. Mm. I guess we don't know what they've done in between now and then, but um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, then we get some information on the kid, our composite other who seems to slip into the gaps left by the HC. Mm-hmm. This is an interesting one to me because does the the, the kid or I, I keep calling him New Gabe Plus um, because the kid feels too generic. <laughs> That's great, New Gabe Plus, love it. Um, does New Gabe Plus only exist because of the Hungry Choir? Like, if the Hungry Choir wasn't here, are there holes in the universe for an other like this to fill in? Mm. Um. Because I guess if it's explicitly an other that has come about because of the holes, the hungry choir specifically is leaving. Um, it definitely says a lot more about Edith's argument above if shit like this comes about because of it. Um, but kind of either way, I don't know. For some reason, I'm getting major just villain vibes off New Gabe Plus, like the kid. I don't mm, know. Interesting. Like with, with McKay and um, Bridge, I've almost from halfway through the fight been like oh these guys don't deserve this they're just traumatized and hopefully we can move forward whereas like new gabe plus to me feels like a con man or like an ambulance chaser like Mm. he sort of he targets victims in a way because these are people who've had like this chunk of their life taken out from them and he's like abusing that to get money borrow cars kind of offering this false hope security like there's a way you could be using this to like fill that hole in a nice way and i just don't get the vibe that he's doing that Mm. Mm. yeah no i agree uh it's yeah i don't know he seems like a villain but i don't know how much we can call him you know i i feel like he's the kind of villain where we're gonna have him dealt with by the end of an arc i don't think he's gonna be more than that yeah he feels like yeah but like i like i'm i'm ready for some reason, in my head, I've already put him on, like, the good person tier list next to, like, Alexander and Bristow. Like, that's how yeah. little I think of this guy. Even though we haven't then, really interacted with them. Yeah, like, that's the, like, I feel like I may be being unfair to him, but just for some reason, everything about him has given me this impression that he's a piece of shit. Yeah, I think the thing that is seeming to be set up is it seems like he, this, the kid, as an other, will set up quite nicely the final conflict of the story, right? Because um, he is a direct consequence of the actions of the the people in the town, right? Like he is here and exists because the hungry choir was taken out or because the hungry choir existed and then was taken out, right? Like the holes that the hungry choir left and the fact the hungry choir isn't around to like, I don't know, smooth over those holes anymore has allowed for him to be here. And so I think that will be kind of a bit of a powder keg that sets off you know, more debate between the Kennedy and Kennetiers, but also the the final, you know, showdowns of our story. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually, because, like, so much of what 
is happening in Kennet now and what everything we're talking about is like a consequence of whatever the culprits did mm. um and, and like when they made the hungry choir so like what better literal embodiment of the consequences of the culprit's actions than another who subsists on targeting the holes that the hungry choir has left in the universe mm. yeah. yeah yeah i really like that idea i just hope that means i hope he's at the end of arc 10 then because we've still got to fit in avery's familiar ritual slash trip to visit the wolf in the train station um verona potentially getting a familiar we'll get to that but there's so more melissa stuff i hope we don't kick off the finale too soon yeah um well yeah i guess me neither (laughs) (laughs) yeah um so also can we mm. talk about so the plan these body snatchers essentially had was we're just going to try and recruit more body snatchers, more people who are like, they're like of all the categories of others we've seen, these are sort of the ones who are the most oppressed because, or because they body snatch, like people really hate them. Um, and so these guys were essentially literally going to do a bank robbery and then do some like magical bank robbery of like taking, you know, extra bodies and stuff. Um, and it's just like, it's just a plan that reeks of desperation from desperate people. like they're seeing an opportunity to get some comfort in life and they're just going to do it. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it's desperate, right? Like, yeah. Uh, but then the, the, the question to ask is, well, what else can they do? Yeah. I mean, exactly. Like I can't wait to see if McKay or bridge even not the kid. Cause he's confirmed terrible. Um, can they find a place in Kennet? Uh, because I, I think what's interesting is there's pictures like uh, Lucy and Verona here pitch a version of McKay's life where he's doing good. Mm. Like he, because he, he does have to sort of take from corrupt or, or, you know, substance abusing people. So it's sort of like, okay, take from the ones who are bad and then make sure that by the time they're coming back to replace you, you set them up to get punished and like, you know, that that is as far as McKay's existence goes, about as morally acceptable to me as it could get. Um, I I don't know enough about Bridge, but like you know, even even the kid, like New Gay Plus, if he was like providing comfort to these families and not taking from them, like that could be great. So it's just you know, if he targeted the families who were suffering because of the gap in their lives and they weren't sure why or whatever, like he could fill that in. Like there's versions for these guys to be good. Mm. Yeah, no, there definitely is. Just, I don't know, will they be? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and they don't trust that people will let them, which is mm. yeah fair given their history. Given the history, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we we finally get some new de- details on this newer fourth other. Uh, it's something that is obviously going to be dangerous and problematic, and it acts as its own kind of energy sink, drawing energy in in a way similar to the Carmine uh, vacuum. Yeah, well, so it seems like, because there's this natural valley forming in Kennet for energy, like things are rolling down, and this is like something that forms a little one of those of its own, and it's apparently mm. just walking around collecting up Carmine energy, which is, um, I mean, yeah, it sounds like a bomb sort of thing to me, like maybe not super literally, but it's the longer this thing is around, the more scary it's going to be. Uh, and it's presumably in New Gabe Plus's hands. So, yeah. I mean, this is certainly where, something we're going to have to deal with pretty soon. 
Mm. Yeah, yeah. But it sounds like if it gets big enough, it can just start to form its own realm. Which obviously is dangerous. <laughs> like, this is something that has been set up as, oh, this is going to cause some real dangerous shit. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so the interview is stalled for now. The gang decides to head out to search for our shadowy energy gatherer in the daylight. Uh, yeah, and uh, so something I wanted to t- touch on here, and we've both touched on it briefly already, is um, there's this moment where uh, Lucy, you know, is like, oh, just, can we leave him here? Like, is there anything more you need? Otherwise, we'll let him go later. And uh, Matthew's like, oh, yep, yep, sure, that's good. And then he asks Toad Swallow next. And Toad Swallow makes a whole thing about how he's asking him before his own wife. Like, how, you know, how crazy is that? Mm. And, like, on the second read, I couldn't help but notice how much clout Toad actually does seem to have in this whole meeting. Like, um, Toad Swallow is actually the first one to give the Kenneteers the acknowledgement. And Matt and Edith sort of follow his lead there. Obviously, he turns to Toad Solo first here. Like, I, I can't help but think, with Toad Solo sort of being the de facto leader of the goblins, and with so many of them being in town now, and especially some of them secretly sworn to basically be under him, mm-hmm. um, it wouldn't actually surprise me to learn that, like, Toad Solo's, you know, cachet in town has, has gone quite high up, and maybe he is a sort of de facto co-leader, second-in-command or something. Mm-hmm. Um like I think, I think, yeah. Like because the goblins account for almost half of the votes in the whole town. Mm, so if, if yeah. he's control, if he's controlling that block of the votes, you know, like yeah. That's... Toad Swallow is weird in that he hasn't. I mean, we saw him in yeah five five point D right, and yep. and that was quite interesting. But he didn't seem to make any overt plays for power when Matthew and Edith were the ones who kind of stepped up and took control of the town after Mist disappeared, but he has really become like almost a de facto leader. Like Matthew looks to him on some stuff, even in this earlier thing where Lucy is kind of confronting Matthew, she also looks to Toad as like, how is this landing with the others? He's kind of like a de facto figure that has become very important in the town um, without really flagging that that's been happening, which I think is very interesting. Yeah. Like it just, like again, like he's not—he's not an open leader. He's somebody who he'd prefer to be pulling strings in the back. Is very much the impression I get. Like this is—we've talked a lot about this idea that Totsoi may not have been a culprit, but he's exactly the sort of person to seize on these conditions to make a profit or whatever. Um, and this feels like something along those lines. Like this is Toad Swallow slowly and uh, like low key amassing power as things continue to get worse. Mm. Um. Like I just feel like Toad Swallow Corp is a good good stock investment right now. Mm. Forget GME. It's all about Toad Swallow stock. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to the moon. Well, yeah. So then ta- uh well conversation then sort of turns to uh like familiar choices. Uh basically Verona wants to make this pitch for having Tash as a familiar. And Verona has this one thing she says to Lucy where she sort of says, I don't think she's a rock exactly but gosh i wish i could be that cool while my skin's falling off and i'm living in a shack wearing donated clothes and i just wanted to quote this line because that i hadn't really like clicked onto that part of why verona would be so obsessed with tashlet and maybe want to familiar her because tashlet's like 
seeming immunity to giving a fuck and being upset about things. That's always sort of been Verona's like aspirations in life. Like she's constantly tried to be the sort of person who doesn't let things get to her and Tashlet perhaps literally lets problems sort of wash over her. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, like I, I yeah, I just can't wait to get into this nightmare and communicate with Tashlet like cuz uh, yeah, like I want to I want to hear from her perspective like how does she really feel? Does she know what she's going into? Is that maybe a factor in how she's so cool? Like uh yeah, is she just... even actively okay with like the transformation, which you could take it as a parallel to Verona's like desire to turn mother, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm. Like there's there's so much there that I hadn't even considered in in relating to these two. And I can't wait to see that explored in this dream. And yeah, perhaps going further as as the familiar relationship stuff. Because um wait, the other thing that sort of comes up in in the context of this familiar talk is uh Lucy's sort of like, oh, but aren't you meant to get the domain to keep our diagram in balance? And the more I think about that, the more I'm like, well, f- first of all, like, kind of the concept of a domain is it ties you to a space that is yours and that, like, is associated with you and your power. Mm-hmm. They kind of already have that in Kennet, right? Like, it's not, it, it, it's different, obviously, but like, there is like you know if we're viewing the the trio as a diagram to to sort of use the implement stuff that's been talked about a lot like if the point of a domain is to keep their diagram balanced i feel like from the start their diagram was probably balanced and shifted in a way that went towards domain-like concepts because of their ties to kenneth Mm. and then like the other thing verona touches on but i think is a really good point is it's sort of like if if you're gonna upset that balance and tip it one way, Verona taking a familiar as well kind of tips their uh, diagram in the direction of making strong connections with others yeah, and making being friends. friendly with others. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's a, a very fair point. Like I, yeah. The more I've sort of thought of this, the more I'm like, that is, this is actually way better. Like the domain ritual, a just didn't really feel right with Verona. Like she's yeah, she's someone who likes her space, but her concept of home is a very uh shaky one these days yeah and the idea of the kennedy is balancing their diagram in the direction of making friends and especially with others just felt spot on to me um yeah 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 and verona i think suits a familiar more than a domain just in general um yeah i mean the fact that she has such natural you know chemistry with with tash and and with others in general i think makes it a strong choice and obviously we've been talking for a long time about how domains doesn't having a domain for this this trio does just doesn't seem to fit like yeah it just doesn't right not yet at least no like avery could maybe make one work if she gets one of those ones that like gives her special powers in the paths cuz like yeah. if she is going to become this departures and arrivals person um having you know basically a terminal to go in and out of sounds very convenient Mm. um but yeah like you know uh, avery's kind of pretty set on uh not letting snowdrop die in a few years so i and i don't think anyone's gonna fight her on that one so mm. yeah i agree i actually the more i think about it the more i'm like if verona is going to have to get one of these things soon to keep the diagrams balanced or whatever uh a familiar makes the most sense to me mm. and as she says tashlet is right there yeah Tashlet, Tashlet right there and ready Treyas, to go yeah if she's a familiar yeah yeah i mean maybe by that logic 
Verona should pick a familiar <laughs> that is more suspicious, like Edith, you know? Like, <laughs> tie them together, or at least see what its response to that question is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I kind of want them to pitch that, <laughs> just to see the reaction. Just to see the terrible reaction, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so it is... It's interesting. I, I, I kind of like the thought that Verena's had and I'd love to have a familiar ritual happen, so I'm all for it. Yeah, well, yeah, especially if it's like if you're making everyone come out for the weddings, you may as well put them right next to each other. Mm. Um, yeah, it should be fun. Like, I, I don't, yeah, I mean, we, we don't really know what the familiar ritual involves at this point. I mean, you know, we, we've had the text describing how they sort of function, but like, I think we saw when Lucy got her implement, we didn't really understand what that meant mechanically for the ritual itself. It's like, what, what do you have to do for this familiar ritual? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I just want to see more rituals, you know? Yeah. That, that implement ritual is still one of the highlights of the story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Um, but that's pretty much where the chapter ends. It ends mirroring the previous chapter with Lucy and Verona hoping that Avery has had better luck than they did, which of course never split the party. Didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, it's like D and D one hundred and one. You don't you don't split the party. Yeah. Um, Nothing good comes of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like we opened uh, our first chapter this week, like the Avery one, basically with the group sort of saying, "God, we have so much to do," and. I feel like at the end of these two chapters, we've made zero progress, except maybe made some of those problems worse. Mm. Uh, so not a very successful week in Kennet. Uh, like, M- Melissa is worse now from the sounds of it, based on what Avery thought, or it's a worse problem than they thought it was at least. Mm. Uh, uh, Lucy's now worried about protecting their families because she's prodded Matthew and Edith. Yep. She's poked um, the bear a bit. Yeah, we learned more about this fourth other. That's a even bigger concern than it was. Like this, this. Yeah, I feel like we've just had two chapters, and it's like, oh no, things got worse. Yep. <sighs> yeah. So uh, we'll have to see how the the trio is going to help resolve these problems next time. Um, but before we wrap up, of course, let's pull out some predictions from our community. Predictions that are left in our pale predictor uh, spreadsheet, which you can. Find the link to submit one of your own in the show notes down below. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, so I, I'll, I'll I'll just pull out the one that I grabbed, which mm-hmm. was from Propaganda Pagoda, uh, who says the girls need Charles to answer questions, but he's got an agenda and the ability to lie. So uh, to try and fix this, the Kenneteers will attempt attempt to essentially strike strike some sort of plea deal type thing with the judges. To get Charles some relief, including his like you know ability to have to tell the truth again, so I mm. kind of not like fully exonerate him, but give him some of his rights back along along with, with the, the responsibility, yeah. Um, and then you know what Charles then has to tell them will will sort of set the stage for the um final arc. Like Propaganda Pagoda says, this will happen at the end of the penultimate one. Mm. Um, so I. Yeah, this is one of those predictions where I, I don't know if I believe it's going to happen, but I love the ideas behind it. Like, because Charles's relationship with the judges is something that came up a lot early in the story. And my current read on the judges is that they're ineffectual at best because we haven't really seen them actually do much. So um, I love this for an excuse 
for us to explore Charles some more and get some more confirmations out of him while also reintroducing us to the judges. Yeah, I like it. I like the way that this can break the constraint of needing the truth from Charles. I I also like it because, you know, if if there's going to be some real change in the way some of these systems work, something's going to have to give, right? We've been talking about practitioners giving a little more to to others, others being a little more trusting of practitioners, and this is another thing that can give. Having the force wearing be a little bit more, I don't know, solvable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I like it. Um, I brought in a prediction from Snowdrop's Tiny Fan, who I think is the first is the first time we've had stuff from them. So welcome to the show, Snowdrop's Tiny Fan. They talk about how um, Verona mentions stuff that's very big can create depressions, and and we also know that there's this fourth other in town that is creating a little depression and also we've we've described the carmine fur and the absence of the carmine beast as creating a big depression in kennet so therefore possibly there's a way to find the carmine furs and therefore find our culprit by finding the center of this depression right which could be done through doing the things that the kentis are exactly about to do which is you know pushing something that rolls downhill to follow it right so maybe when the Kentis do this, they are going to expect to find the fourth other and maybe even find the fourth other, but also find the Carmine Furs. And I just think that's a great yeah. little... I mean, it relies a lot on, I guess, like, in air quotes, the physics of this world <laughs> to a way that might not might not track, but I do love the train of thought behind it. I think, yeah, because especially what we learned about this fourth other when we first encountered it in, like, 9.4 or 5 or whatever... Um, is it was following the biggest stains from Carmine energy stuff. So like it went to where those kids were lost in the car and then it was heading to the arena. So it was kind of tracing places where the furs had rested. So it actually makes sense that if if uh, the kid, New Gabe Plus, lets it out, it would probably head to where the furs are. Mm. Um so I could kind of see these two two ideas merging because if they're going to roll stuff downhill, uh, that thing is also trying to head downhill. So we might just meet. So yeah, maybe this thing, maybe we're going to find it at the Carmine Furs. Uh, that would certainly be a whole lot. Mm. Like there's no way the shit doesn't hit the fan pretty much immediately if that's the case, right? Mm. <sighs> I mean, yeah, things will pop off very, very quickly. Um, yeah, I... I'm excited. I mean, it feels like we're approaching <laughs> the end, right? So I'm excited for all this stuff to pop off. Yeah, but we can't. Just not too quick because we need to. We need to. There's so much that, dangling that threads to resolve. <laughs> we need to get Georgia back into the story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just yeah. We need to go to the the uh, the crypt of the Necrodancer path. Like, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but. That's the end of our show, folks. We'll have to see how quickly things pop off next time because that's the end of this episode of Pale Reflections. Thank you for joining us. If you have thoughts about the things that happened in these chapters or thoughts on the episode or the story's resolution in general, you can head to our discussion thread, which we linked in the show notes down below. Uh, yes, you can also find uh, us on Twitter. Uh, that's where I do my live reads. Uh, at, just search for Pale Reflections on Twitter. Um, that's also where we post news about the you know, upcoming episodes, what what have you. Also, it's where you can find out about Pace episodes. Mm-hmm. Yes, Pace is a great show we are running at the moment that I am very, very thrilled by. It might have taken the 
lead of my favorite show that we've ever done, Elliot. I'm having so much fun making it, and uh, it seems like a lot of people are having a lot of fun listening to it. So make sure you check it out. And uh, you know what? Share yeah. it as well. Why not share the show? I, I'm doing this here because we don't have like an outro section in Pace, really, because it's all pre, pre like edited. But if you're enjoying Pace, share it around. Why not? It's it's fun. Eh? Yeah, I'm I'm having a lot of fun. Like even just listening to it because we played it so long ago. I'm almost experiencing it for myself because mm. my memory's terrible. Mm. Um, and and like yeah, Ruben's put so much effort into this gang, and it's very good. Mm. Um, yeah, I definitely recommend it. Well, thanks, Elliot. I mean, um, it, that feels weird because I'm in it, but like I'm saying, <laughs> as somebody who also started listening to it, it's really good. Thanks. Um, if you want to check out any more of the great content from the Doof Media Network, you can head to www.doofmedia.com, the home of the Doof Media Network, with all the great shows on the network that can be found there. Yes. In fact, uh, we probably should have mentioned this earlier because we, mm. we do have some big news, which is uh, we've made the Doof Discord public. Yeah. Um, those of so you... For... Please. Oh, sorry. So for those of you who are still listening at this point, uh, <laughs> head, head on in. Um, yeah, so that, that used to be a Patreon exclusive, but we're opening it up to everyone. Uh, so there's channels in there for Power Reflections, for Pace, just for Pale in general. Yep. Uh, so come hang out. Uh, you know, we, we chat about all sorts of things in there. Yeah. There's also channels for shows like the Book Club and the Game Club, which only yes. exist as a once-a-month thing, but there's a lot of discussion around them as well. And so we kind of thought it's weird to have to segment our community into just patrons on the Discord because everyone should be able to talk about the books and games that are being discussed each month. Like that's kind of the whole point of a book slash game club. So come on on. You can get go, get there from doofmedia.com forward slash Discord. That will give you a direct link. Um, come in and hang out and have a good time. Yeah, uh, worth noting as well for the game club. People often stream the games, and there's a real fun community there yes. about watching each other and yeah, and streaming. It's a lot of fun. Exactly, it's great. Um, so come along, check out the rules as you as you do, and agree to them, and then welcome to the community more <laughs> actively, y'all. Yep. Uh, and if you you know enjoy the Discord, and it finally you've decided that this is it. Even though the Discord isn't a Patreon exclusive, you love it now and you want to su- uh, support us, patreon.com forward slash doofmedia is the place where you can make sure we have the resources to, you know, do things like do the upkeep of the Discord mm-hmm. or, um, you know, or do all the crazy editing Ruben's doing on Pace, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Yeah. Um, while you're on Patreon, definitely make sure you head to Wabo's Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Wabo because he creates all these great worlds for us to play in. Uh so he deserves some of your love for it. Yep. We wouldn't be him without him. We wouldn't be him without him. Yeah, exactly. That, that conversation. <laughs> God. God, Elliot, I think we End need to wrap episode. up. End of episode.